For centuries, they sat around campfires and wondered when he would come. Mothers sang songs to their children before nighttime, and they wondered when he would come. The scriptures told of a king who would come riding on a donkey. Isaiah wrote about a suffering servant. And then in the fullness of God's time, he came. He looked at a woman at a well one day. He said, when the Messiah comes, he will, he will tell us everything. He will explain everything. And he said, I who am speaking to you am he. This morning we will tell you his story and we will answer the question, what are you searching for? Everybody's searching for something. Some people are just searching for a big dream they can wrap their hearts and minds around. Some people are searching for hope and they're investing all of their energies and all their prayers and, and maybe someday finding that hope and embracing that hope and living that hope. And all the while, Jesus Christ looks down, he looks down from a, a street in New York City in an archway carved out of stone. He looks down from a mountaintop in Rio de Janeiro. He looks down and he proclaims his love and his grace for all people, for all time. And somehow, we're all searching. We all get caught up in that, in that search for something. I picked up this sign down on Laskin Road. This is the social media part of my message. The first person that, that texts me a selfie with their picture in front of that sign wins a free donut at the Sugar Plum Bakery. Compliments of me. Uh, you have to actually eat it there with me. Uh, 572-4200. You have your, your social media challenge. But everybody is searching for something. And long ago, they were searching, and they were hoping, and they were waiting. Peter tells us about a search in his letter, 1 Peter, chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Verse 10. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. They were searching. They were hoping. So what are you searching for? I picked up this magazine the other day. 
I was drawn into the, the drama of the cover story. 100 Greatest Mysteries Revealed. I was in line at Farm Fresh, and I saw it just sort of jump out at me right there, right before the register where they have all the magazines, some that you shouldn't buy or see. But this one, I thought, I could, I could do this, 100 Greatest Mysteries Revealed. But then as I began to look at it, I, I saw and understood that revealed was really not a good word because it's sort of a tricky word. They really don't give you any answers. They just tell you stuff. So it really should just say 100 Greatest Mysteries and revealed should be off or you could cross it out or tear it off. But as I began to go through the magazine, I came to mystery number 34, the Shroud of Turin. Here's this picture on a piece of cloth that nobody's been able to quite figure out. They really don't know how it got on the cloth. They can't explain it. But every single mark, you can even see the crown of thorns markings there. Every single mark on this body is described in the story of Jesus in the Gospels. Every single mark, front and back. On Easter Sunday, 2013, Pope Francis spoke of the shroud with a mixture of reverence and caution, saying, the man of the shroud invites us to contemplate Jesus of Nazareth. So what is it that you are searching for? There's an old song from the 60s, 1966 to be exact. It's always been one of my favorites. It's number 89 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 all-time songs. So I'm not going to sing it to you because that would be a tragedy. But what I am going to do is read you the lyrics and I'm going to get to a specific point and there's two words I'm going to want you to, to shout out. Now you're going to know what the words are if you know the song. So just shout them out because you have a chance to beat three other congregations last night to this morning. And I think you guys looking at you, I think you can do it. So just shout it out when I get there. Here are the lyrics. All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. I've been for a walk on a winter's day. I'd be safe and warm if I was in L.A. You did it. You, you were the best congregation of all. The best. The best of all. I'd be safe and warm if I was in L.A. California dreaming on such a winter's day. But it's the second verse that just gets me and it gets me riled up every time. Stopped into a church, I passed along the way. Well, I got down on my knees, and I pretend to pray. You know, the preacher liked the cold. He knows I'm going to stay. On and on and on and on it goes. But what happens here is, is they, they just make, they poke fun at me. They lambast me right here. You know, the preacher liked the cold. How do they come off saying that? I like the cold. I want it to be cold outside to drive people into church so that they pretend to pray. They kneel down and pretend to pray. This is like a game. This is like, I don't, I don't do this. I don't even like this. Pretending to pray the cold, the preacher like the cold. I don't like this song anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm on strike against the mamas and the papas. I'm just on strike. But that is exactly the theme of the search for God that many people experience in life. There it is. Religion controls me. Religion is a game that I play. Religion is lots of rules that I don't want to do. Religion says jump, and I'm supposed to say how high, and there's a corollary to all those thoughts and feelings, which is I want to be free. I want to do what I want to do. 
I want to somehow figure out life on my own terms. But people still want to know God. And people are still searching. And they're searching to this very day. There's a, a TV show coming on next Sunday night. And it's all about trying to figure out what people believe about God, the story of God. And Morgan Freeman, who in his, in his spare time impersonates God, Morgan, Morgan Freeman is, is going to take us all over the world and talk to people about what they think about God because the search is so important and the search is so full of hope and, and meaning. Let me take you through a, what I call a theology 101 program real quick here this morning. Let's look at the, the real options that are on the table for God, the options that are always on the table. Number one option is atheism. Atheism says there's just a universe and that's it. God does not exist. And the universe is, is like this giant orphan. It doesn't know who it is or why it's here, but it just keeps on going and going and going. And, and, and atheism says there's no God. You're born and you die. And that's the end of that story. But agnosticism takes it a step further and says... There's a universe, and maybe there's a God. It's not possible really to know. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. So you have God question mark. Maybe God is surrounding the universe, but we just, we can't know. We can't figure it out. Pantheism is interesting. Pantheism says the universe is God. Everything and everyone is God. Plants, animals, humans, Oreos, and the whole universe is God. God, everything. Polytheism says there are many gods. A god here, a god there, a god everywhere. Some gods we think are trying to tell us something. Other gods we kind of just try to make work into the, the way that we live or the way we want to live. There are many gods in the universe. Deism, very interesting. Deism says there's a universe and there's God. There is one God independent of the universe, but God is not able to or is unwilling to interact with it. Therefore, miracles and relationship with God are not possible. Theism. And then we come to something very, very unique and different. Monotheism. There is a universe and there is one God independent of the universe, but able to interact with it. God can be part of our experience. God is around the universe, and, and maybe you could say he's in the universe, but he's also very present right now. He can be in our experience. We can have a relationship with a personal God, monotheism. And when it comes to a belief in one God, we end up smack in the middle of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the three great Western religions, but only one can be right. So how do you figure it out? How do you figure it out? Interestingly, in yesterday's Wall Street Journal review, there was an article about Jesus. So how has Easter maintained its relative religious purity? Mainly, I would say, because of its subversive religious message, Christ is risen. That is quite a statement. And it's one that non-Christians can readily grasp, even if they don't believe it. Jesus of Nazareth, the man of 
the man whose followers claimed that he healed the sick, stilled storms, raised people from the dead, and made the poor the center of his ministry, was crucified under the orders of Pontius Pilate and died in agonizing death in Jerusalem. Then as his followers believed, myself included, says the author, after three days in the tomb, he rose from the dead. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you can go on living your life while perhaps admiring Jesus, the man, appreciating his example, and even putting into practice some of his teachings. At the same time, you can set aside those teachings that you disagree with or that make you uncomfortable, say, forgiving your enemies, praying for your persecutors, living simply or helping the poor. You can set them aside because he's just another teacher, a great one to be sure, but just one of many. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, however, everything changes. In that case, you cannot set aside any of his teachings because a person who rises from the grave, who demonstrates his power over death and who has definitively proven his divine authority needs to be listened to. What that person says demands a response. In short, the resurrection makes a claim on you. In short, the resurrection makes a claim on you. This is not the Bible. This is the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Get it. Read the article. Instead, in short, the resurrection makes a claim on you. It's Jesus and the resurrection that makes Christianity the true revelation of God to humanity. If, if there is no resurrection, then we shouldn't even be here this morning. Just, just go have brunch or go have another brunch or you know, plan another brunch. But with the resurrection, it all comes together. With the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life is made evident to all people for all time. Even Paul said, without the resurrection, we are without hope. It's the resurrection that defines us. It's a resurrection that helps us to understand what we need to do, what we should do, and how we should go about doing that. The resurrection makes a claim on you. John gives us details from after the resurrection. John chapter 20, reading from the message. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you, just as the Father sent me. I send you. That's the, the claim that the resurrection makes. It says the Father sent me. I send you. But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we saw the master, we saw him. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes, stick my hand into his side, I won't believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time, Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Now get the scene. He locks eyes with Thomas. He knows what Thomas has said. And, and now Thomas is looking right into his eyes. And it is a moment. 
and he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it into my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas said, my master, my God. And he knew, he knew that everything his heart searched for was standing right in front of him, right at that moment. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. And in that statement, Jesus was talking about us, you and me. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. Then John concludes his story about Jesus. John 21. This is the same disciple who was eyewitness to all these things and wrote them down. And we all know that his eyewitness account is reliable and accurate. There are so many other things Jesus did if they were all written down, each of them one by one. I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. I can't imagine a library so big that could contain all this. In the first service, I made a mistake and I said library, like a little kid. I can't imagine a library. And I don't know where that came from. It just came from my third grade class and it just came back and I couldn't stop it. But it's really library. That a li- there's, there's not a library that is big enough to hold everything that he taught and everything that he did. But John goes even further in 1 John chapter 1. We are writing to you about something which has always existed, yet which we ourselves actually saw and heard. We saw this, we heard it, he's saying, something which we had an opportunity to observe closely and even to hold in our hands. And yet, as we know now, was something of the very word of life himself. For it was life which appeared before us. We saw it. We are eyewitnesses of it. And are now writing to you about it. It was the very life of all ages, the life that has always existed with the Father, which actually became visible in person to us mortal men. John says, we were searching. We were searching for the one. And we found him. And we saw him. And we embraced him. And we heard everything he said. And we want you to know this so that you don't have to search anymore. I listened to a program the other day because it touted it would give me three questions that will change your life. And I don't listen to a lot of programs, especially weight loss programs. hate those programs, but they're always trying to send them to me electronically as if there's some electronic weight loss fairy out there somewhere that's focusing a laser beam on me. But, um, you know, this idea of, of questions that will change your life, it intrigued me. And so I decided I would listen to this program. And I'm going to tell you about each one of those questions when we get to our next series, Living Forward, which starts next week. And I'll give it to you on April the 10th, which will be the, the second week. And you're saying, well, that's like you're holding us hostage to come back for the next series. And I say, yes, it is. <laughs> At least I'm being honest about it. But he did give a fourth question about life change that I'll give you in a few minutes. That's a fair deal. 
in the life, Living Forward program was something that I think was more important than those three questions. Michael Hyatt said, we are all of us in one of three modes of operation in our lives. Three modes of operation, and all of us are in one of these three. One of these three. Let's figure it out. First, he says, there's drifting. You're just sort of going through life, and, and one day rolls into the next day, and one week rolls into the next week, and a year rolls around, and, and you, you think, well, that was fast, and, and I didn't realize a whole year went by. Drifting. There are consequences to drifting. There's confusion. There are so many lost opportunities. There's regrets. And there is a great expense of time and money that is just wasted if you just drift and just, just let it go. Then he says there's, there's being driven. Being driven is very well described in this book called Unqualified by Stephen Furtick. Anytime our words are comparisons, anytime they start with the word more or end with the suffix er, alarms, sirens, and flashing red lights should go off inside our heads. I am wealthier. I am faster. I am more beautiful. I am more influential. I am more spiritual. Those aren't the kind of words we need. Since when did, since when did being bigger, better, and badder come to mean success? Using comparisons to define our value is intrinsically insecure. It's a dead giveaway that our value systems are wrong. We do this more often than we realize. Our words frequently hinge on other people. We evaluate and rate ourselves based on other people in our world. Sometimes we compare ourselves to people who are worse just to prove how amazing we are. Other times we compare ourselves to people who are better just to feed our internal pity party. Neither extreme is logical or accurate. And now listen to these last words. And both are corrosive to our souls. And both are corrosive to our souls. There's drifting. There's being driven. But then there is designing. Designing begins when you let the designer of the universe come into your life through his son, Jesus Christ. You make that commitment. You open your heart. You say, Father... In my life, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You say, dear Heavenly Father, I accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf so that I can know that I'm forgiven and that I will live forever with you in heaven. And I give you my entire life so that you can design that life. And God has already given you some hints about what he wants to design because you have gifts. You have gifts that are unique to you, things that only you can do, and you know what your gifts are. And the second part of what he's given you is a passion or a set of passions, a passion for how the world can be different because you're in it, a passion for what you can, what change you can affect in the world because you're there and you want to step up into the change. And so God says, let's take your gifts and let's take your passions and let's work together and design the kind of life that's worth having, the life that you've always wanted to have. And then you add this one thought from my friend, Christian psychologist, Henry Cloud. We need two kinds of challenges. First, to reach way past self-imposed limitations. Second, to reach the little steps each day it takes to get there. So Henry says, we have to stop 
setting limits on ourselves for what we can do or for what God could do through us. Just stop that. Just say, God, whatever you want, whichever way you want this to go, I'm in it with you for the long haul. And then doing the discipline every single day to reach the goals that help you to surmount a hill and then the next hill and pretty soon you're over the top of the mountain and you're into the great adventure of the designed life that God wanted to give you since the moment that you were born. Drifting, driven, designing. Everybody chooses one. So what are you searching for? Oh yeah, that bonus question. Michael Hyatt asked, question number four. You have been given a gift, your life. What will you do with it? You get this one life. It's it's an amazing gift. What are you going to do with it? What will you do with it that will honor the reason that brings us together today? The resurrection puts a claim on your life. Are you just stopping into a church you passed along the way? Or is there a prayer in your heart, a a real prayer about finding out who you are and what you're searching for and finding that answer today with a resurrection? Maybe you've been searching for a relationship that will give you what you, you think you need, but there isn't a relationship like that without God in it. Maybe you're searching for success in a way that serves humanity, and that's good, but that success will be brighter and last forever with God in it. Maybe you're searching for the meaning of your life and why you're here. I remember searching for that 45 years ago. Jesus Christ answered that question 2,000 years ago, and he continues to answer it today. And maybe he's going to answer it for you today. You see, all searches, all searches in the end are searches for God. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand and seek God, if there are any who are searching for him. And then he announces, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And so you think that you've been searching. The truth is God has been searching for you all along. Your entire life, God's been looking for you. I love the story, the story about Soledad O'Brien who was on her own search for God. And she was talking to a pastor from the West Coast from a church called Mosaic. And they were at a conference in New York. And she says, I, I just feel like God's in that house over there. And I keep going around and around the house, and I can't figure out how to get into the house where God is. And with great wisdom, the pastor heard her story and said, well, you almost got it, but you're in the house. And God's going around and around you, just waiting for you to open the door. And that next morning, in a hotel lobby, She prayed and opened the door to let Jesus Christ come into her life. And maybe that's a door that you need to open for the first time today. Jesus said, So you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe 
without seeing. God's always been searching for you. Are you ready to open that door to him today? If you have a decision card, and that card was given to you on the way in, and on the back of that card, it simply says, today I'm accepting Christ. Or you can text your decision to 22333 and leave your name and contact information, and we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Um, but that's so important if you've been searching and searching. Today could be the day that you go, I realize that God's been searching for me, and I open that door and let him in. Or you could say, you know, I've been drifting, or I've been driven, and I need to make this rededication of something I did a long time ago, and I've kind of forgotten about it, or I put it on the back burner, but I need to, to make a rededication of my life to Jesus Christ today and do the work of designing a life that will honor him and change the world with my gifts and passions, those gifts and passions he gave me. Or you might say, it's time for me to get baptized. So on August the 7th, when you go out to the ocean front, I want to get baptized in the ocean this summer. And if you just want to let us know you're there, just put your information down and you can know what's going on at Spring Branch all the time. But this is a day of decision in some way for you. The resurrection has made a claim on you. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. There were eyewitnesses to everything that happened, and they call you to make a decision for Christ today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these moments, moments that put a smack in the middle of understanding who your son was and what he did and who your son is and what he can do with our lives right now. So Father, I pray as decisions are made this morning, that you would guide people into the path that you have prepared for them, that you would guide people to understand how much is at stake. Relationships are at stake. The future is at stake. A legacy is at stake. Father, allow decisions for your son Jesus to be made now as you draw people to yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.